You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. So we are back and we're here. We never went anywhere. Well, it's true, but we're filming it and it's going on YouTube, which is pretty cool. So we're just dropping segments for the moment, just things we find interesting, just to throw up, see you know what we're looking like. Not that we, we do have a head for podcast, I'm going to say that. But <laughs> Speak for yourself. Hey, yeah, we'll just throw it out there. Sorry, Remy. Um, and, you know, I guess what's new? What have you been up to lately, mate? I had a uh, big weekend, actually. I did a bit of home kill. Uh, we've got a cool room here at home and we filled it up on Saturday. I would end up with four, six lambs and two pigs. And pigs were probably, I didn't weigh them, but around the 80 to 90 kilo live weight, heavy enough that they bent my gambrel. Whoa. And, yeah, I will say I was not using a hunt, hunt catch, cook folding gambrel. I was using a much cheaper, inferior model. But uh, I had some helpers come and, come and do that with me. Have you ever done any home killing stuff? Not off a farm, no. Where, where was yours? Off the street? No. Well, Residential? No, I haven't done home kills from that. It's, it's different. It's different. I mean, I... Are we talking like a high fence situation? Or just- no, that's someone else's home. <laughs> that's another home kill. No, this is a high fence to the point where we're talking sheep in a small paddock, in a small pen. But uh, So I had three people come with me. Uh, I had my uncle, Dave Truman, good follower and listener of the show, reached out to him and he came for a bit of an experience. And friend of the show, Rob Trubia, also came out to lend some assistance and neither of them had seen it done so close, I suppose. So it was confronting in a in a way that it was very hands-on versus hunting. And I, I've explored that with them both after the fact and to see what their emotions and feelings were on it and they're both honest about it, but it, it, it's just not easy. I, I mean, I don't know. For the listeners that haven't done it, my method of choice is 22 to the brain box and then a quick throat cut. So they're brain dead, but their heart is still pumping. And just to, I mean, we we talk about this and we're on it every week, talking about taking lives and hunting and I enjoy killing animals, but I don't enjoy that part of it. It's I understand the need for it and the necessity for it, but I don't love it. Do you think it's the challenge of it? Like it's not a challenge or a pursuit to just, you know, they're in a paddock, they're just there. And, I mean, the biggest challenge is probably herding them into the right sort of spot. But it's not a – it's not something that is challenging or there's any sport to it. No, there's no sport to it. It's not that at all. It's literally just killing. It's just a matter of fact. It's just killing. And when I say paddock, that's probably not the right description. Um, we put them in a small enclosed pen and then squish them into a smaller corner so there's nowhere for them to go. It's point blank, barrel on forehead. No missing, bang, drop. So there's no chest shooting or anything like that. And so I took the boys through a bit of a safety briefing at the start and just we stood around in a circle and didn't sing Kumbaya, but we just I just said, like, this is how it's going to play out. 
this is what's going to happen. I need that knife there. I need someone to take the rifle off me at this point. Give me the knife. Get it done. Like it was very structured. Systematic. Yeah, systematic. That's a good word for it. Very structured. And we're very lucky that all three, these are on three different properties. Everything went to plan and it doesn't always. I did say that. And occasionally you'll have one that just lasts a bit longer than others and kicks a bit more and that, that's also quite confronting. But they are brain dead. There's, there's not the feeling there and his nerves and things. But I don't know. I still get nervous doing it, especially doing it in front of other people. Yeah, it's not fun. But what was fun following that was spending the day with those three guys and uh, Big Bo come and I'm going to say, he'll probably say give us a hand, but all he did was operate the machinery and use an excavator and lift up the pigs, but he thinks that was helping. But uh, he came for banter at the end. But Well, I've actually got Bo here on the phone. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> but uh, no, it was good to to spend the day with those guys and teach them and show them like it was very informative for them. It was cut here this at this point in time and don't cut there at this point in time and cut the bum out, pull it up, zip tie it, push it back in. That sort of stuff was super hands-on. And I picked those guys essentially to help because no one else answered the call. No, I, mean, I thought they'd get something out of it and also learn from it to the point where towards the end of the day they were doing it themselves, which was what happened. And Dave... By the end of the day, with the last pig, I said to him, do you want to shoot it? And he said, yes. And he did that, and then he cut its throat. So he got the full the full experience. So it was, um, man, so much fat on the pigs. I know there's some listeners out there that have done some pig killing, but we scun the pigs instead of scalding them just because I wasn't set up for that at that time of day. So we don't get any crackling, which is a shame, but... Uh, just so much fat. Good if you're going to make some. Yeah, salami stuff. I mean, I yeah. could trim the fat for that. I probably won't. I'm probably more inclined to, you know, I want to have a go at some Christmas hams. It's that time of year, so give that a go. I've got some mixes there from My Slice of Life. I've got the maple ham preserving mix, so I'll give that a go and keep it posted and probably make a ham sandwich. Ah, back to sandwiches. So, yep. Well, look, we, we should have started there. Seven minutes and you've already gone to food. I mean, hey, it's close to a record or it gets probably earlier in other episodes, <laughs> Mate, but hey. I started with food. That's what we've been doing all that day was killing meat, killing animals to put in the cool room to eat. So they're sitting in my cool room chilling right now and in two weeks' time we will be spending another big day cutting them all up. So it's a lot of work involved, but it's very rewarding. With the amount of meat you get, and if you broke down the cost compared to what you buy in supermarkets and things like that, yes, it's a lot of time and effort, but geez, you're rewarded by a lot of meat that you're going to sit on for a while, freeze it, it's good. And the cost saving alone is substantial. So it's that, it's that tricky one of, Yes, it takes a lot of time and I know you've got a young family so it makes it very difficult to find that time. But one day and then you've probably got enough meat there for a good six months. Yeah, we, we, we're going to share some of it and that was the deal with people that came and helped. I think in my text message I said something along, was along the lines of, are you free tomorrow at 7am? I will provide good banter and some meat in return. So I'm not sure... 
I don't know if I've delivered on either. I definitely haven't delivered on the meat part yet. But oh, I was going to say the banter. Yeah, no, not coming from me. So, it, and I think at the start there you said there's no sport in it. I think the enjoyment comes after the initial shot or the killing, which is a little bit reverse of hunting. So with the hunting, it's there's a lot of build up, just, you know, moving in, finding the animals, all that sort of stuff, and then you shoot something, and then there's a little bit of a lull. I suppose, but then you start the cutting up and then the meat thing happens and whatnot. But I think this is the reverse. It's the killing first, which is not particularly fun or enjoying, enjoyable. But then after that, you've got all that community stuff. So the guys coming around to my house to cut it up and I said to the wife, they'll probably hang around and we'll end up with a barbecue that night. And there's a lot more after involved and there probably is with a hunting experience because quite often you're by yourself or just with two people. And this will be with, you know, six or eight people coming around and hands-on cutting and gutting and packaging and labelling and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, we didn't do any videos on the day per se. Dave took a couple. But uh, if anyone's interested in maybe seeing some video of the, what's going to happen in the next two weeks, just uh, reach out, send us a message, and I'll, uh, I'll – yeah, if anyone's got any questions on home kills, I'm not an expert in it. I really like the term butcher. I think I've said this before because – if I do a good job, I'm a butcher. If I do a bad job, I'm still a butcher. And uh, we were pretty happy with the lambs, but the pigs, the fat on those looks like it's already been scored, ready for a roast. So I would say we butchered those. Okay, so speaking of sport, I want to get into one of our listeners' questions because I think it's a really good one for me when we talk about this. So I guess it's a bit of a shots fired. Shots fired. Now... Let's play it straight away and we can go from there. Yeah, g'day, boys. Just wanted to get your point of view on tech in the hunting industry at the moment. Obviously, Scope's going to do a lot of things now, including holdover and give you a point of aim and um, laser range find and all the rest of it. I just wanted to get your opinion on where do you think this is going and where do you think it's gone too far? Cheers. Oh, look, I appreciate the question, Bevan. and. I know this sort of came about, we were having a bit of a chat through messages and he was saying he was chatting about it with a couple of his mates and he wanted our sort of thoughts on this. And there's so many contexts to this and different viewpoints depending which way you want to look at it. So I guess let's, well, what do you think first? Mm-hmm. It's a, I don't have a first thought. I've got lots of thoughts. And I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah. Depending on what application. I mean, I'm just going to preface all my answers with it's fine depending on what application. So I think from a fair chase sporting point of view, or like traditional hunting type feeling, I'm talking like Scotland, red stags off the back of a horse or back in BC somewhere or even if it's just shooting rabbits out the back with a 22, if, if you're in it for the traditional sport feeling, I don't think there's a place for it. But then also- Well, hold on. I'm going to stop you there. Your sport, when you're just saying that, there's not a place for it. Well, that are, by that argument, you're going all the way back. We're not even using firearms. We're probably not even using bows. Is that what you mean? I hunt all my animals with rocks, mate. So I am I a traditionalist. So. Oh, I- yeah. No, I understand what you mean. And- yeah, it's a confusing one 
to sort of look there's so many avenues i get what you mean what you're trying to say is it's not a sport if we weren't you know we should be using boomerangs or uh, atlatls or you know whatever rocks spears hand but technology irrelevant of what level of technology has changed over the years from you know napping stones and all sorts of stuff which has actually seen a big push lately to go back to that i, I know the meat eater guys they, i think they killed a bison with some traditional tools and then cut the whole thing up using traditional no i think they just cut it up because they were working out they were trying to work out the actual they were with like an archaeologist trying to work out the bone chipping and trying to work out what tools if any that they used yeah and how long it would have taken was it possible to do because they were they keep finding obviously bison in a certain spot with all these sort of chip marks and they're just trying to work out how that came about and trying to reenact it. So, like, the technologies come from there to the point where they're, you know, metal blades and things like that. So, I understand that there's levels of it, but I don't know where it's going to stop. I don't know if it needs to stop, but there's definitely been some things that have probably popped up over the years that maybe shouldn't have pop up, popped up or didn't work or didn't last. But that's how you end up where you are today is by trial and error. As always, I like to play devil's advocate and you sort do. of throw away from that and go, well, okay, if you're talking about a line and you're talking about sport, so this is where it gets really tricky. Where is the point to say technology is good for this part but not this part? So what I mean by that is our firearms had iron sights and were black powder and then they've progressed to projectiles that shoot faster, much more efficient. That's a good thing. The scope has gone from iron sights essentially to a scope with magnification. Yes, the magnification has increased a lot. Now it's to the point where we've got thermal and day-night scopes and, and the like. And you've got certain scopes out there that, yes, can zero themselves, can work out the drop, can do all that for you. So there is – it's sort of like just a point and shoot. But saying that's not good or saying – we shouldn't be using that is like saying with a firearm, we should be back at black powder. I don't, me personally, I don't think that's a good thing. As a sports hunter, and this is a context I want to look at from this part, if you're out there to do it as a sport, you still want to, you want to increase your effectiveness when you get the opportunity. And I don't think if we've, if the technology is the like original sort of stuff, you're not increasing your chances. More things can go wrong. But then again, is that sport? What's sport? It's a challenge. Life's a challenge. It's not sport. Yeah, but your objective is to win. But if then you compare it to sport, look at technology in sport. It has drastically changed over the years. Remember when the uh, Australian swim team, <laughs> they weren't allowed to wear that particular uniform because it was holding too many yeah. bubbles and they were just breaking records left, right and centre. It pushed their body out of the water mm. so they could less drag and they, they smashed records. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Where's the line? But we're, we're not talking about breaking a record here. We're talking about taking a life, minimising suffering, you know, from – my perspective, when I hunt, that's what I want to do. I don't want something to suffer at the hands of me, even for sport. Like, yes, accidents happen, but I think the objective is always to try and make it a clean, ethical kill. And if technology is going to help that, 
Is that a bad thing? I, I see that as a positive. What if your skill level increased and without technology and you just became a better shot? I feel that sometimes with these fandangle devices, people are falling back on their technology instead of learning how to do things properly. And even you see it with kids these days and texting, they don't know how to spell words because their phone throws up the next word for them or how to finish it. So it's the same thing. If you're relying on a, like, you you know, you're going to get into it, but the Boris Eliminator style scope that throws up your trajectory and holdover points and things like that, if, if you're not actually learning the basics of hunting and how to shoot and you're just relying on that, what happens one day when your batteries go flat? It still has a reticle in it, so you still can use it. It just doesn't throw up the details. How are you going to shoot? I think, well, yeah. I would just, I wouldn't. And I would say this is the same as if you bust your scope. If you're out on a, a backpack hunt and you, your scope rings break, that doesn't you're not happen just very looking often, down the barrel. Batteries run out a lot. Scope rings don't break. Like I've never, I've never been on a hunt where a scope was broken. Yeah, they might get knocked out of zero, but you can do that. You can fix that out in the middle of nowhere. And the Burris one's an interesting topic because- a friend of mine, Tony Saros, uh, actually works for Beretta. He he took a Burris Eliminator regularly overseas on hunting trips, and I met him in Montana on an elk hunt. And he struggled to use it because it was foggy. The thing couldn't send its laser range finding capabilities through the fog. His eyes could see the animal, but the laser couldn't. He ended up shooting a crack an elk, but it wasn't in the foggy day. So are you... It's called the Burris Eliminator. Are you eliminating problems or are you creating some as well? Well, it could be both. It could be that you are creating more problems. I see the weight as a disadvantage mm. because they're not as light as a scope. So I guess, again, it, it's coming down to that context. If you're if you're hiking a lot and you're covering some serious grounds, you don't want something that big, bulky, heavy on your rifle. So you sort of want against that. but then. Again, it makes it so difficult. I look at myself and it's easy to obviously just use my own experiences. And you get it. You've got a young family. You are short, pressed for time. I'd love to be at the range three, four times a week. I'm not. I haven't got that opportunity at the moment because I've got young kids that I've got to come home and look after. If you haven't got the time and effort, I shouldn't say effort because – I want to do it, but you haven't got the time and I have to go to a range. Ranges are only open certain times, which doesn't work for me at my current life stage. Does that mean if my shooting's out and I haven't been shooting as much, wouldn't it be a good thing having tech to be able to support so that when I do go out, I'm going to maximize my chances and be as good as possible. I think it's a bit of a mute point, that one, because you've got to, still got to sight these things in and they still travel and go out of zero and you still need to practice with them. Again, I'm jumping across to like thermal scopes and things like that. They still need zeroing and, again, I think that comes down to – I'm not going to say you in, in general, but you're looking for an easy way out. Like you're looking for less time at the range so you can go hunting more like I, I don't go to the range. I don't shoot. Like I only shoot when I go hunting. Once my gun's on zero, I don't check it. I don't 
Okay, so that's a good point though because that's going back to what I was saying. If you're not shooting that often and you haven't got the skill set to know your holdovers, to know your your ballistic coefficients, to know your bullet drops, if you haven't done that and for a lot of people that also can be difficult with limited access, you know, it's it depends on the context. Again, if you're out in the country and you've got access that you can just shoot down even all on your own property and you can just throw things down the range, it's really easy just to shoot, right? If you're going to a range, all of a sudden there's all these extra requirements, there's time. I mean, look at Silverdale. I think they've just lifted it, but you had to book in a time slot. Now, I really wanted to do that on one of the weekends. I just couldn't with the twins. And so you sort of, for me, I look at it and go, okay, well, I, I know what you're saying about you've got still got to cite them in and all that. Agreed. But it's taking a couple of other things out once that has occurred. As you just said, you go to the range, you shoot, you get it on zero, you never, you don't need to go to the range. What's the difference with that scope? It doesn't recalibrate and reset every time you use it. So once it's set, it's good to go. So it's the same thing or are we? Are you resetting it every time? I haven't had much experience with those scopes. Uh, personally, I've only had limited experience and I'm sure Ben from Hunt the Night could probably answer this question definitely a lot more. The, the small experience I have had with them, they have needed calibrating occasionally. When I say occasionally, I'm just going to say more than my fixed scope and, you know, a mixture of software changes and updates and things like that. So, I mean, I'm not a techie person. So I struggle with, like my phone asked me an update today and it's been asking me to do that for like several weeks. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm too busy. I don't really want it to do that. So I don't, I mean, you can do your updates at home instead of going to the range, but I'm, I don't know. I don't think I would. I, I would much rather, although I'd love to try thermal and play with it at my own capabilities, I don't think I would be relying on it because you'll be asking for my gun when your batteries run out. I think we're talking about different things here. I'm talking about the scope that it doesn't – so when you shoot, I can't remember which one it is, but you, it's a one-shot zero because you aim, you pull the trigger, and then you track up to where it went and you press enter and it just readjusts. So it's done. Like It's not a time process. It's not – I mean, you remember the last time you went to the range and you were trying to help out I think it was Eva maybe mm. with her rifle and there was a bit of issues with you tracking the scope and adjusting because you don't do it that often. This thing you go, tit, 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 tit. oh, there it is, bang, done, and you're zeroed in. So I'm talking about that one. When you get to thermals, again, it comes down to that technology and what is on that scope, that makes a big difference. I agree with you in the sense that you shouldn't be reliant on it, but if you are reliant on it, is that a big issue if you're fully accepting that if you go out for a hunt and your batteries go dead, your hunt's done? Now, if you're willing to have that, if you're willing to take that chance, if you're willing to not have extra batteries, then I don't, I don't know if that's an issue. You just spend five minutes telling me how little time you've got. And imagine if you went out on a hunt with this little time you've got and there was a firmware update required on your bit of gadget or oh, look you'd be gutted 100% no no 100% and as I said I'm playing I'm coming from different angles here I, I actually hopefully by the end of this conversation I'll have actually more a solid point of where I actually sit on it but for the moment I'm looking at the different contexts so if you're going out for a hunt and it's something that's going to shoot better you're going to have less chance of 
maiming or hurting an animal, I don't see that as a negative by doing it. But again, we're talking context. I don't know if I personally would take it because I I like the sort of traditional side. But then I sort of also sit there and go, well, look at broadheaded's now. Look at expandables. Broadheaded. Look at all these. Oh, it's a snake. Broadheads. Um, <laughs> broad. Look at broadheads. Look at. Uh, now I'm thinking of snakes. Um, look at the copper pot. <laughs> <laughs> the red ba- red backs and the look no 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 look at broadheads look at the expandables look at yeah, just compare when you compare them compound bows as well like is there anyone out there arguing that a compound bow is not a wonderful thing compared to a recurve bow everyone in the recurve world well no but hold on you haven't let me finish i'm talking about from the power that it delivers that you can hold it back for a lot longer so you can take time to, for your shot placement. It's not as strenuous in the draw phase. It's going to deliver a heap more power. They're all positive things. But as you just said, people in the recurve space are probably saying it's, you know, it's too much tech. So I get it. And I'm going to put this into my day-to-day scenario. I'm a fencer. I dig a lot of holes. Back in the day, my dad was a fencer and he dug a lot of holes. One day he came home at lunchtime and mum said to him, what are you doing? This is before phones. What are you doing? Did you hurt yourself? He said, no, I'm finished. She said, what do you mean you're finished? He said, I bought an auger. I'm not digging by hand anymore. So he doubled his productivity because one, he wasn't physically buggered. Two, he dug holes a lot quicker. And then, so I did that for a lot of years. I owned an auger and then we bought a dingo and now I own an excavator. And I don't, I mean, I cringe when I have to dig a hole by hand. So I I understand that there's stages in technology and you need to take that leap forward to increase your productivity, increase your time efficiency. But when it comes down to it, I know how to dig a hole by hand. And that's, that's my honest feeling on this topic is I love gadgets. I am a gadget guy, although I'm not a techie guy. I have the gadgets and then they sit uncharged in my drawer. I understand how to use them, but I also understand how to go without them. And I think that's important. And I I see with state forest hunting a lot, I'm guilty of this and that's relying on a digital mapping service. That's great until you hit super cold weather, your battery runs out, your car's flat, you can't charge anything. How the dang do you tell where you are in the forest before, you know, paper mapping and things like that? So I'm guilty of it there. But I think as long as shooting skills still remain, I'm okay with people adding technology to their kit. The only caveat on that is be honest about it. Like if you shoot something, it's the whole high fence, low fence thing. If you're going to shoot something with thermals or whatever, you know, I think that nearly needs to be noted in the description that, uh, yeah. So then you could go a different way and you could sort of say, all right, if you're out culling for a farmer where your objective is just knock over as many animals as possible, is it not more beneficial? No, I think it's a great idea in that situation. Well, I'd be interested, and this is where it's such a complex question. I love it because I, I didn't actually think about this, but what about suppressors? We've been going on about suppressors and the benefits of them and- well, I mean, is there a line there? Should we not 
use suppressors because it helps protect our hearing. It doesn't spook animals. Like we keep going, oh, benefit, benefit, benefit. Well, you could have that point with all the tech that's out there, benefit, benefit, benefit. That's that's what tech does. I I don't know. I, I love tech. So for me, I do like the traditional side of things, but at some point it wasn't a traditional side. It was a tech. You know, when, when you were only shooting with iron sights and this new fancy scope came in, and I'm guessing it was a fixed scope. I don't know. I'm not that old. But I'm guessing it was a fixed scope. And then the next scope came that was had magnification and it probably was low. And then next one came. And now I can see a hell of a lot further than that fixed scope. Is that a bad thing? I, I don't feel it is. I do agree that the fundamentals should be taught and you should learn the fundamentals and, and know all those things. I think that's a given. But I'm not opposed to saying, hey, if the tech's there to make something better, why not use it? I mean, how many people out there discussing this or thinking about this? Are you guys still on a push bike or are you in your car? Why don't you go back to the horse and cart? What's the difference? Or get an electric push bike. Oh, yeah, that too, or an electric car. I mean, there's so many. This is the thing about tech. It's, I guess the whole thing about tech is trying to make things easier and better and i don't know sometimes if it makes things easier i think it does i don't know if it makes it better like for me i don't think i want the scope that does all that for me that's my personal choice but i'm not opposed to people who do want it because they feel a bit more confident or comfortable that's a win for me i think that if you're doing that and you're you're happy to put your hand up and say hey you know what, I, I feel more at ease taking longer shots with this. But then you could also argue if you're not at ease with it, why are you taking them in the first place? That's so tricky. <laughs> it's such a good question. You said traditional. I want to question for yourself having some Aboriginal heritage. Scenario in Montana, it's really hard to draw a bison tag. When you draw one, there's, you know, hunting hours, shooting light, sun up, sun down, shooting seasons. It's very regulated for non-natives. For the Native Americans, they can harvest them out of season on the side of the road. They don't need to particularly be in certain hunting areas. And from what I recall, in this particular area, they're allowed to use spotlights to do it because traditionally... They were allowed to use, well, they used the moonlight. So their argument is that. So it's a tricky topic, but they're using technology to, I'm going to say, flaunt the laws and, and probably yeah. stretch the rules a little bit. Any thoughts on that one? It takes me back to Dreamtime. in WA. <laughs> Not Dreamtime. takes me back to WA and there was a, I think it was a police officer that stoned a wombat to death. And it was in the news. It was big news because it was like had people for animal cruelty jumping up and down. And an elder came out and supported him saying it was a traditional method of hunting. And I had mixed feelings about it because, again, I've raised just previously that when we're, for me, when I'm hunting, I want to make an ethical quick kill. 
doesn't always happen, but I'm going to do everything in my power to try and make sure that does happen. Obviously, the footage that I saw, it was not that. And that to me, I sort of sit there and go, is that necessary? And then tying it back to what you just said, if the spotlight was necessary because it was under moonlight, but there's no moon that's changing sort of the rules. But if it's makes it more effective and efficient, I'm not super against that. I, it's such a tricky one because it's a fine line to go away from. I mean, okay, let me, let me repurpose, rephrase this because it's a, it is a real tricky one. Is anybody going to come out and say, because one of the arguments I always hear about from hunters is that we've been doing it for thousands of years. It's in our blood. It's, it's our ancestors hunted. But then that rule, for example, I can see a lot of people would not like that rule. And they're saying they get an advantage, I can't hunt it, etc. But then you're sort of going against your argument in the first place. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's so conflicting because I get how they – that I don't personally think it's not the same as Moonlight and it's sort of using that sort of argument, I believe. I'm only going off what you told me. I've never heard about it before. But if you are – if you are saying that – oh, it's so tricky. I don't know. I've got a million thoughts going through my head. I don't know the answer for that one. What what do you think about it? Because I I don't know. (sighs) I didn't see that particularly happen. What I saw happen was them harvesting buffalo on the side of the footpath in a built-up area, basically, just outside of town, and then taking some of it. And we would lose our hunting rights if that happened. I mean, that's off topic. I want to get back to the the technical side of things. Do you want to talk about that anymore before we move on? Yes, I can see it from both points of view that from a traditional perspective, I can see wanting to keep in tradition. And we say that about hunting, you know, if, not to, to segregate or, or put a line between cultures, but we say that between hunting as, oh, we use a gun, but the guns we use were different. Okay, well, does that change it? So if traditional, uh, traditional owners want to hunt the way they always have, or even if they want to hunt with a gun, does it change it? Like, I think we're trying to find things there when we probably should all be just going, hey, we, we like hunting and let's hunt. I got a good story about a traditional owner and a gun, and that was up in the Northern Territory. I'm not sure of the legalities of them owning firearms, but this thing was the rustiest rust bucket of a. It looked like a broomstick that the plastic had come off and was just. Like, I don't even know how it's cycled. It was a 308. And they're like, oh, do you have any ammo? We're like, well, no, we didn't have a 308. They had a couple and they were with us. They were not guiding, but part of the deal with being in this area was we had to take uh, T.O. and one of the young the young men with us. And they saw a bush turkey. It was, I was going to say crane. It was a bush turkey. And, I mean, they can harvest whatever they want again. Not sure on the legalities, but I've been told they can harvest native animals and whatnot. They shot this thing from like 150 meters away and just decapitated it. 
with an open sights 308 that was rusty, rustier than a pair of pliers that you find in your grandma's garden. Like, And later on, I found out that it was a fluke and he was actually aiming for its body and just happened to hit it in the neck. But traditional owners and firearms, he could have done with a little bit more tech or at least a cleaning rod or a bit of an oily rag or keep the thing out of the bucket of water at the front door. I don't know, but anyway, it works. And they're still harvesting animals that way up there and it's working for them. So they don't need the tech. Their bratchers are definitely run out. And tech up in Arnhem Land is a little bit limited, especially battery recharging options. We did find a payphone in the middle of nowhere. Now, I rang mum from there and she was like, where are you ringing from? And I said, I don't know. There was a pile of prepaid phone cards on the ground because I don't know who's going out there to collect the coins in the payphone. But, yeah, tech out there is limited. So traditional owners still using firearms, still harvesting meat. It's not that different to what we're doing. I just uh, I don't know if we're into final thoughts on this, but I think my final thoughts on it are that I'm all right with people using tech and keep going further and further and getting more tech and making things better and, like you said, more ethical, increasing the ethical shot placement and things like that. One, as long as you're honest about it, and two, as long as you can take it off and still use the firearm without it. I don't think it uh, is a replacement of traditional skills. I think it is an enhancement of traditional skills. Yeah, look, before we move on, the part of the question was where do we see it headed? And, I mean, that could go anywhere, but how good would it be if you had like a GPS in the bullet? How good would it be you shot that bullet, it goes into whatever you're shooting at, that animal takes off and you're just sitting there going, yep, got it. Similar to what we do with our dogs, you know, our our pig doggers and, and things like that, they send the dogs out. They can watch on the screen where the dog is and they can follow it. For me, that would be really cool. How many times I've heard so many stories of people, oh, heaps of blood, good blood trail, looked for days, couldn't find the animal. That's just a waste in my opinion. Imagine being able to go, you know what, I still think you should learn how to track and follow the blood trail and all that. But imagine just going, all right, I've done it, not working, I need some extra help. Where's the GPS at? So it's already a thing. In archery, I'm not sure about firearms and bullets, but in archery, it's a thing. And there's a thing called a pro tracker. And it attaches to your, just behind the broadhead on the shaft. And as it enters the animal, it will penetrate and stick on the animal somewhat and then allow you to track that animal. It's uh, not allowed in some areas and... I'll uh, put a link to it on the page so people can look at it. But there's a lot of laws in the States that limit technology to the point where you've got an archery season, a muzzleloader season, a rifle season. Soon they're going to have a GPS drone season. I just made that up. But And you said where it's going to go. I think it'll get to the point where I can go hunting from home so I can send a drone out and it can shoot a deer and then put a sling around the deer and bring it back here for me. I don't know if that's uh, what category of hunting that comes under. But uh, It'll get there. That's just harvesting. It'll get there. Yeah. Well, I don't know. So a ProTracker recovery system starts at $700 US and comes with four arrow shafts. It's expensive. 
It is, but I mean, if you you're spending a lot of time, money, effort to go out and shoot the animal, is it a decent investment? Just as a a double, I guess, some insurance, bit of backup. Yeah, some insurance to say, hey, if I do lose it, I'll find it. Hmm. All right, I reckon we can leave that one there. I hope we answered your question, Bevan. I don't think we did. I've probably still now got more questions and we probably could sit here all night unpacking it further. But Here's one for the listeners. What tech are you guys using or what do you want to try and use? Send us a message and, and let us know what you're using in, the, in your current setup. Ben from Hunt the Night, you can't answer that because you've just got a whole shopload of stuff. Jeez, oh, you could almost say I'm psychic. I've got powers. Psycho. I'm no, not psycho. I think I should be referred to as Mystical Matt <laughs> from now on. <laughs> Ooh, Mystical Matt. We need a soundbite. Can you create your own soundbite? Mystical Matt. All right. So previously, I don't remember which episode, but we spoke about 1080, and we spoke about how there's a couple of councils in our local area that are banning it and I was on a Facebook page the other day and a gentleman I can't remember his name I can't remember the which group it was in and he posted a picture of a newspaper I think it was the Herald Sun and the title was feral foxes run rampant in city it's down in Melbourne it basically outlines they're attacking people's pets (laughs) Um, a Pomeranian was killed, a 12-week puppy was killed, and they worked it out. It was roughly the numbers, were, they were saying there was 18 foxes per square kilometre wow. in the suburbs, mm. and they're on people's roofs. They're attacking pets. They're even going up to people. Now, as I said, I predicted that I feel this is what, our LGAs that have banned 1080 baiting, this is what's going to happen. People are going to start losing pets. I don't like 1080 and I've said it so many times, but it's a ne- it's a necessary evil and it it has to be context. We You can't just say, oh, 1080 is bad, let's get rid of it altogether if there's not a solution. And I think this clearly outlines and shows that if you don't have something keeping a species in check, it's going to explode and it's going to impact people and it doesn't matter if you live in the suburbs. We're seeing that with deer. We're seeing you know, the, the population for deer getting closer in the suburbs. Every second week I see a video of this massive stag running through someone's front lawn in the suburbs because they can't get shot because you can't use a firearm in there. They basically have free reign. Like we, what's the answer? We can't, we can't just let it keep happening. Or can we? Did you ever trap yours at your house? Nah, it's still going. Still see it or not as often? Well, nowhere near as often. They disappeared. There was three of them at one stage and then they all disappeared two weeks. Didn't have anything, like nothing. I even put like bait away out in the open and it wasn't even getting touched. Mm. So I'm thinking they might be back now because the dogs have been going off a little bit. But Probably still full from that Pomeranian. Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe there's something bigger. They got a lab or something. <laughs> yeah. But in, in fairness, I, you know, I don't – sorry to those pet owners that lost their, their pets. It's well, not great. It, no, it's not. And it, it's not dissimilar to you. I mean, people would 
probably say the dogs are different than fox uh, than chickens, but you know, if a farmer loses chickens, it's something that's producing you know things for his farm. It's not that dissimilar to someone losing a dog. So I understand that they're a problem, and I just like you said, unless they're gonna unless they're gonna provide a suitable alternative, and I think that could be pro shooters in those areas, you know, with a high powered air rifle or something like that. It wouldn't be hard for them to pick off 18 in one square kilometre driving the streets at night, and it wouldn't be hard to bait them. Sure, you just put your bin out and lift the lid, and they'd all be into it. So I've seen a video just recently of a pro shooter. It's Rod Morris, Thermal Hunting Australia, picking off like 300 or 400 rats at one place. I mean, what those guys can do with their tech and gadgets these days, this was a thermal... A thermal air rifle it's pretty incredible so put one of them in your main street and you'll i think you'll whack a fair few of them but the people that are losing the pomeranians need to be okay with losing something else in return if they're you know they might not be okay with you killing a fox until it kills their pet it's a tricky one well part of the article was saying they're blaming pet owners hmm. and I, I sort of sit there and go okay how how can you blame pet owners and what they're actually saying is that it's dog owners that are filling up dog bowls with yeah. too much food, which is attracting foxes. Mm. It's like, well, okay, is it? So you're saying that in the confined backyard with a dog there, and I don't know too many dogs that like to leave a lot of food around. Most dogs I know love their food and they try and finish it, even if it's way too much. How is that? enticing foxes to come into people's backyards. I just think they're opportunistic and they're exploring and they're around and there's nothing there to stop them being around because they're not baiting, shooting, whatever it might be. And one of the reasons we're stopping baiting is because we don't want to lose pets, but now the foxes are killing pets. So we're we're back to square one. I did notice that a lot of the foxes around town, their coats were looking very good. Obviously, they were on the optim- optimum pet food or whatever it was they were getting fed. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what the dog bread is. What's the one that has shiny shiny coats? Super coat? Yeah, super, super coat. coat. There we go. They all suggest they're going to give you shiny coats. And I, I mean, I spent a lot of – that sounds weird. I spent a lot of time in domestic backyards for work and I see it all the Still time. Still doesn't sound any better. <laughs> I see dog bowls full of food all the time because – I don't know, weird dogs, but maybe when people only have one dog, there's not a lot of necessity for the dog to eat the food quickly. You have more than one dog, I have two, and if one leaves one morsel, the other one gets it. I, I've i had many single dogs and I've never had a dog that would leave food in the bowl. Even the dogs that weren't driven by food still did not leave food. They just eat it all, even to the point where they're vomiting back up, just overfeeding. So- I haven't seen that. What so. are we going to talk about on uh, on next week's pet podcast? Well, I mean, this might be a new thing for us <laughs> going down the pet. Uh, we're, shipping, uh, we're subbing in uh, pets for sandwiches. So, <laughs> What does uh, Mystic Matt see in the future? <laughs> as soon as people, pets start getting got and there'll be an uproar that the nasty fox is getting the placid puppy and people will go, no, nah, we Wipe can't stand out. for this. Yep. yep. Come and get them because 
it's, it, it comes back to that emotion. It comes back to, oh, we don't want to hurt the poor thing. I've just lost the thing I care about and love and spent a lot of money on. Dogs aren't cheap these days. And this fox has just taken it out. Kill it. Well, let's get rid of them. White uh, sharks, great white sharks and things like that. You know, everyone loves seeing them in the ocean. As soon as they bite someone, let's go and put a drum line out. Let's go and take out that one. Yep. Especially in the area. If you're swimming in the area, everyone loves a shark until it's at your local beach. <laughs> and then it's a, oh, what are you going to do to keep me safe? Yeah. When when I'm in their territory. Yeah. I love a shark, but I don't want it to kill me. It's, uh, yeah. And look, that's human nature, I think. So, yeah, was, I found that one a real interesting one. And then I guess the next thing is I saw on Sporting Shooter magazine they posted about another bank, mm. ANZ this time, basically cancelling and not supporting the firearms industry. And I don't know the specifics. I know it has something to do with online firearm sales. And I know that we'll be getting on a future guest who will probably be able to talk a lot more about what is going on in that space mm. at what are businesses facing? This is just another obstacle. It's restriction of trade and that's he'll talk about that specifically. But, I mean, where does, and like we've spoken about this before, they might not be able to physically take our firearms off us yet, but they're just chipping away at the block of wood. They're just making it harder at every level. So... I don't know. It's a tricky one. We've got to be vigilant and watch where it comes from because this one's coming from left to field. They're going like, to, I don't know what the, I haven't read the article, but are they not allowing the funds transfer if you've got firearm as the reference or like, I'm not sure of the technicalities, but these big companies, they own us essentially. It's hard to bank without some of these big banks. So Yeah. I think that's the one I look at it going, and I've said it a lot, is that the movement to stop hunting and shooting and things like that. It's not going to be this big all-out war, you know, we're going to round people up and take the guns. They're not going to need to. They're going to just chip away slightly, take out this, make it hard to get this. All right, well, you're you're a firearm owner. I'm not going to support you. Our bank's not going to let you bank with us. And then, well, where does your money go? It's illegal to have more than $10,000 cash at home, so you're going to have to bank with somebody if all the banks start doing the same thing because it's popular, you know, life seems to be this big popularity contest at the moment, is that the downfall of our sport, of our industry, of our lifestyle? Mm. Because it doesn't agree or the person, the CEO sitting in ANZ has no clue about hunting. Here we go. I had to laugh actually on the weekend, a little bit of a side topic here. We had a barbecue at mine, just some friends. And one of them- It was a lovely time. Thanks for the invite. One of the masters said, <laughs> oh, our vegan friend asked, have you killed anything yet? And I don't know. I, I sort of looked at it and went, well, it's just again how they, they just don't get it. Like, which is funny because her husband's a hunter and he hasn't killed anything. And he goes out a lot more than I do. And it's like, you realize that it's not like- you're not going in. It's not like what you did to the sheep and the pigs on the weekends that you can go to a property and just because deer are there or have been there doesn't mean you're going to see one and you can go multiple times and not see anything. But there's this perception about people that have never done it 
that it's easy, that you just walk out, they're just sitting there. Bambi's sitting in the field. How easy was it for that hunter, you know, on the Walt Disney movie? Uh, that's what it must be like. It's just not reality. It's, it, but how do we get through to these people? Sometimes the farmer even sends you a photo the next day of deer standing where your car that's was parked. That's just hurtful. Uh, <laughs> yes, why would you do that? What sort of friends are you surrounding yourself with there, Matt? I'm more referring to the unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah. No, he's my good spearfishing mate uh, from way back. But he, he'll be a good one to get on at some stage. He's got some funny stories. But yeah, he he married. I don't know. He he married his his wife, but I think she's vegan at the moment. Whatever's popular on TikTok or Twitter. So whatever she uses. So yeah, I just I think this is the problem. Is I know. People have said it before, a couple of people have said it before, that we should have a lot in common with the Greens and we should have more in common with the AGP, but we don't. And I don't think we're ever going to because I don't feel, I don't think, I don't feel it's a logical viewpoint. I think it's more about emotions and extreme viewpoints. And that's, that's, that's the issue with them personally. That's what I feel. I don't think we'll ever meet and have common ground with them. I'd love it if we did. I just can't see it happening. There's Mystic Matt again. Have you ever watched a SBS series called Living with the Enemy? No. There was an episode on there with Steve Lee. I like guns. And he had a animal rights person. He went down to their place first and she actually took him on a duck protest. And she asked him at the end of it, what did you get out of this? And he said, well, the wetlands are pretty accessible. I might come down here for a shoot next year myself. Wasn't the answer they were looking for. And then she went on a pig hunt with him and Rob Borsak. And she could take nothing away from it. Uh, she was she called them animals and he said, well, it's quite strange because you like animals, but you don't seem to like us. And he something he took away from it, like I'll get to it in a second, but you say that, they learn from us. Like, so we, we might learn from them and listen to them and we should be more like them, but there's no way they're ever going to come over to our side of the table. And something he took away from it from her was that all animals are different and have feelings and emotions and things. And I sort of only reconnected with that episode recently and I sort of thought about that a little bit and especially with what I did on Saturday. I mean, animals do have emotions and feelings and it's sort of linking all our topics together tonight. It's our job to do what we do ethically and I just um, I think that I don't think they're ever going to come over to our side and understand that we understand that yeah I'm with you I for me the only thing is that is what happens if we weren't to kill anything so what if we didn't hunt or poison what happens to all the animal populations do they well there'd be 18 foxes per square kilometer that this is the question I really want someone to answer for me that is on that other side of the fence. Do they grow old and go to a nursing home where they are surrounded mm. by family the when they pass? That's not reality. They don't think like humans. So where where do where do we again we talk about lines tonight? There's been a lot of lines brought up, you know, the line in tech, but where's the line of the animal's gonna die? Let, let's be honest, all of us are dying from the time we're born. We're getting closer to the end. That's just the reality of life. It's going to happen. Isn't it better, I think, isn't it better that that animal has a great life and and goes ethically and quickly and is utilised than not? 
it's going to die. The reality is, how is it going to be utilized? And you could make the argument, yes, that nature will take it back. But guess what? We are a part of nature. Too many people remove themselves from that nature equation. And we are a part of nature. That Just because we live in cities doesn't mean we're not part of nature. So when you say, oh, that nature will... You know, another animal will eat it. Guess what? I'm another animal. <laughs> I want to eat these nice tasting animals. That's the reality behind it. One thing I would encourage everybody is to just to be not accepting of it, but accepting of a different viewpoint. And I don't think we do any services to the whole side by calling names and making things worse. Like it's that sort of poke the bear sort of mentality mm. is the name slinging back and forth. They're people at the end of the day that have a different viewpoint. Yes, we might not be able to change them, but we might get a few, but not if we're going around just attacking them and yelling at them and trying to make them feel, I don't know, I don't even know what, but I've seen a lot of posts and a lot of shared memes and things like that where people are attacking vegans and i don't know how i feel about that because is it a positive thing are we doing ourselves any favors as hunters by doing that now everyone can make their own choice at the end of the day that's the best thing about life but for me i'm not keen on that i don't think i ever want to be attacking someone for their viewpoint i'm happy to have that discussion hopefully in a respectful way but we're not probably going to ever see eye to eye but maybe I can educate them slightly and make it a little bit more accepted. If I don't, I don't. Hey, but I don't need to treat them badly just because they don't agree with my perception. No, some some good points there. And I think it circles back to something that I've sort of harped on about for a little while. I think Kyle actually brought it up originally, but it was that we don't need more pro hunters. We just need less anti hunters, just, just people that are okay with it. And I think the name calling and – you don't see hunters, I don't see hunters sending death threats or anything to people who are not hunting or anti-hunting. It comes a lot the other way. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, on the forums and things, hunters getting on the bandwagon and name-calling the anti-hunters, but I don't think it ever goes down the, we're going to kill your pets or we're going to come and kill your kids, which definitely comes our way. I'd be interested to hear from any listeners that have had some serious run-ins with anti-hunters, whether it be online or in maybe in the place of work or or out in the real world. But I just, um, yeah, I think positive influence in the society is, is the key, and they might not they might not know you're a hunter straight away, but if you can uh, show it in a positive light, then they realise that later will sort of paint us all in that same picture. Curveball: If you're an anti-hunter. And you're trying to elicit a response, an angry response. What could happen if our if hunters out there were to fire back with threats and intimidation? No, you'd lose your firearms for ten years. So who's winning? Mm. Is that maybe a strategy that I'm going to antagonize by name calling, threatening kids, etc.? Because you're not losing your firearms license because you probably don't have one. Is it? Maybe a strategy that, hey, that's one less hunter out there because if I can elicit that explosive response by saying something nasty enough to get them to react, 
they could possibly face consequences. Is that the same reason as, you know, I've heard people saying before, we've been out shooting and the police have been called saying that I, I feel threatened. There was a post I read, someone was sharing it around saying there was an activist here in Australia that we're encouraging people that if you hear a shot, say that your, your life is in danger and all these just false allegations to try and get that activity and behaviour stopped. So is that a strategy maybe that's being put out there? I, I don't know. No, I don't know either. I don't have a comment on that one. What I do have is another shots fired. Shots fired. It's much better when I do it live. So this one's come in from Stan Wynn. And uh, I met Stan the other week at a hunting club meeting and great fellow. And to be honest to Stan, I didn't realise that you were the same person until I did a Facebook stalk on you today. But welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening in. Now, he hasn't got a firearm yet, but he would like to know if there's any downside to skipping buying the 22 that everyone suggests and moving and even skipping the 223 and moving straight into a 243 because he wants to be a deer hunter, not a small game hunter or a target shooter or something like that. And he's concerned about, you know, would I be setting myself up for failure if I learned to zero, avoiding flinch and increase accuracy with the twenty-two, if he is he missing anything by not getting a twenty-two? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think so personally. I, I guess it comes down to the person themselves. If you are someone that I don't know, I don't like using the word sort of rough and tumble, but if you're not worried about copping a knock or copping anything like that, the a two-four-three especially doesn't have much kick at all. Now you could probably do a couple of things if you were worried about that. And it's a valid point. I understand that. Someone, especially if they haven't done much shooting, there's no reason you couldn't just run a 243, look at putting a muzzle brake on it, and even a limb saver recoil pad. Now, you do those things, you're probably shooting something closer to a 22, definitely probably under a 223. Is it needed? I, I personally wouldn't. I think the first gun I shot was a 243. And. It didn't bother me in the slightest. So I don't know. From my perspective, if you're not wanting to, the only thing I would go against that and say while you're learning, geez, two, two, uh, 22 ammo is cheap mm. and it's good for that compared to, you know, off the top of my head, what is it? I think uh, 100 pack is 35 bucks maybe. Don't quote me on these figures. I haven't bought 22 ammo in a long time. You know, when I do buy it, I just buy a pack of 500. So it's just easy and it's not that expensive. I buy a brick as well. Yeah. But when you go down and you buy the 243 ammo or the 308 ammo, ouch, uh, compared to the old 22. So for me, I'm probably saying I would do it from a cost saving point of view more than from a flinching point of view the cost saving though is i mean he's buying two rifles so there's not a lot of cost saving in that point of view yeah but you're talking a, a 22 what you can six seven hundred dollars get one second hand yeah i see where you're coming from i think my honest answer my simple answer to him is no go straight for the 243 my advice on that would be to link up with someone at your local hunting club 
and say, hey, I want to try a 243 before I buy one. Anyone got one? Can we go to the range and have a try? So I would you know, suggest that first. And then if you're comfortable with it, then buy one. Skip the 22. But like my tech conversation is don't forget the basics. And you learn a lot of those with a 22. So again, don't be afraid to borrow a 22 off someone or if you know if you can't afford one or go to the range and use someone else's at the range because there is a lot of i mean i i shoot large calibers i don't flinch i don't think i ever have hey uh where was i down to victoria somewhere and there was a lady in camp who hadn't shot up anything more than a 223 and i had the 375 and she wanted to shoot it and i said have you ever shot it no no anyway so i pretended to load one and left the chamber empty and i told her so it's loaded now and she, she got up to her shoulder and she was aiming at a tree and she pulled the trigger and I didn't have one in it. And she jumped and like flinched. And I, I was filming it at the time to prove to her that she, it was in her head, the flinching part. And, you know, she wasn't a shooter, a regular shooter. She was just one of the bloke's wives. So that was sort of proving a point. But the 22 really teaches you a lot of consistency, um, picking up a sight picture and a scope, things like that target acquisition you don't get that as easily with larger calipers because your gun's jumping around a lot so if you can handle a 243 and you want to buy one gun buy it great idea good caliber and you can shoot a lot of things with it so i don't think it's a draw part if you've got the money buy a 22 a 223 a 243 a 416 buy one of everything if money's not the issue but yeah plinking with a 22 and fun i enjoy yeah fun well you know just Getting out and just shooting the twenty two, it's good fun. It's and I'm not sitting there going, oh, there goes a dollar fifty. Because geez, going to the range and throwing a few pills down there, it can be quite the costly adventure. Yeah, it just comes down to I suppose where, what you, you I guess your financial position. Do you want multiple guns if you're only just wanting one altogether? But then I'd also go look two, four, three. Well, then you're only sort of probably targeting fallow, especially if you're a new hunter. I wouldn't be saying go anything bigger until you, you know, and me personally, I would always rather be a bit overgunned. So for me, when I'm hunting deer, if it's going to be bigger than fallow, I'm happy to take 308. I think that's a, a comfortable round that you're going to take most deer out. With the 243, yeah, you could headshot, neck shot, and a lot of people do it, don't get me wrong, but... Again, we talk about that insurance policy and especially for new hunters, I think insurance policies are probably a good idea because if you are out slightly or there's an issue, having a bit of extra guns probably not going to hurt you in that position. What's coming up? Well, we have our Christmas party end of year wrap up hosting, Endless Pursuit hosting on behalf of or in conjunction with the Australian Hunters Club. And that'll be at the Crown Hotel in Camden on the 16th of December. 6.30 yep, kickoff? 6.30. Right? I mean, you'll probably be there from lunchtime getting on the cans again like last time. No, I won't last till 6.30. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, same same place, same time, different date, obviously. We're uh, looking forward to it. We've had a lot of interest from new listeners this time and some people have reached out from some distance away, Nowra and up in the mountains as well, Blue Mountains coming down. So looking forward to meeting a few listeners. 
and having a beer and having a catch up. Have you got anything coming up, Matt? Not really. That was probably the next big one. Is is that? Um, that's about it. Pretty boring at the moment. Hopefully, get out for a hunt. But summer's a tricky one to hunt in. It's hot. You know, there's a lot of snakes about. Just changes the whole dynamic of it. So I don't know. And then I was talking to someone about this today. For me, your state forests, especially coming into those warmer months, it's a big risk because that fire rating increases, which means forests get cancelled. So you could go away, get some hot weather, which happens (laughs) in summer. Maybe. Who knows? It's supposed to be a pretty wet summer, this one coming up. But all of a sudden, you can't hunt. So private property is a different story. But, yeah, that's that's one for me. So I probably haven't got anything planned now leading up to Christmas. And just, yeah, do the podcast. and Imagine getting out into a state forest and then you get there, you've got two days, and then your scope batteries die. Yeah. And then your GPS dies and then a fire comes through and you have to go home. You'd be upset. Very upset. It would be upsetting. Yeah. You've increased the barriers to entry. Just take a dang normal scope. Yeah. And then don't light any fires. Not even that. Just don't go out if it's going to be above 27 degrees maybe. Or just don't hunt state forest. You know, it's much safer. Uh, it's an easy one for you. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, other than that, you've got a New Zealand trip. Coming up soon? Yes. Yes, an, imp- an impromptu three-day turn and burn to New Zealand. Check out a new property. Well, I think we're going to do a podcast from over there. So That's the plan. That's the plan. We'll uh, see how that pans out. So let's keep it a bit under wraps and oh, you have to okay. tune in to hear about it. Yeah, fair enough. It's like a teaser. Keep an eye on the stories too. I'll be uh, taking some pretty cool footage while I'm over there. We'll get that going on the stories. All right, mate. Let's wrap it up there. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and I hope – it probably has caused more questions mm-hmm. and answers tonight, but great question. Good to think about. Hopefully you guys are out there having a bit of a chat about it and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks, guys, and please send in more questions. We love hearing them. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter, you can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram, find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.